0: My name's Joey. I'm one of the youth pastors on staff at Westgate Church, the Saratoga campus, just about uh, 15 minutes away. Um, So not that you maybe had the choice, but thanks for letting me be here with you. Um, Over the past several months, as many of you know, Westgate Church and some other churches have been partnering together on teaching series. The one we're in right now is Abraham. We've done How Not to Read the Bible and all these different books before, and um, being part of the teaching team, I finally... Got the chance to um, come to another church. And so, although I do miss the middle schoolers, um, I don't. So, <laughs> I'm honored to join in this week with you all. Um, and so, again, thanks for having me. My goal is for you all to do one of or more of three things one, leaving here feeling inspired, two, leaving here feeling refreshed, and three, leaving here being challenged in your faith. If all three happen, you're on a good year, it's a good start. If at least one happens, that's also a good start. Um, but if you don't leave here feeling inspired, refreshed, or challenged, it's on me. So I'm going to do my best and um, pray that God helps me out there. A little bit of background on me. I oversee middle school ministry at the Saratoga campus. We have a blast. There is nothing better at all than seeing a junior hire go face first into a diaper full of chocolate pudding. Once you get into high school, you're worried about your hair, and your makeup, and your contour, and your, mat, your lashes, and what the cute boy or the cute girl is going to think of you. But these middle schoolers, they're just like, boom, right into the chocolate pudding. Um, we play games like uh, ding-dong stacking, where they have to lean back, and they have to stack as many ding-dongs on their forehead as possible before falling off, and the record is seven. It's pretty impressive. Um, shout out to any middle schoolers in the room. They are my favorite. It was a little bit of background on me. I've been uh, in full-time ministry for five years, overall church ministry for 10. I'm 28 years old. I'm currently in seminary at Western Seminary. Um, Shout out, Deb. And uh, I love sports, the Giants, the Niners, all types of dogs, except for pugs. They're the worst. (laughs) I am also a podcast connoisseur, mostly consisting of fantasy football podcasts, um, as well as some therapy and theology. And uh, lastly, I coach junior high softball at the King's Academy. Any King's alum here? Heathens, all of you. (laughs) But aside from all that, all that fluffy stuff, my main concern with the church, my main concern with the people of God, my main concern with society and the students that I serve is this. I want, my deepest desire is I want all of you and everybody to understand why this all matters. If you don't understand why the whole church, the Jesus thing, the triune God thing matters, then it's never gonna matter. It's not gonna mean anything to you. And so my biggest concern for students is not only that they build their faith, but they understand why it matters, that they can say in limited words now and more words as they mature, why the church matters. Why does the gospel matter? Why does any of this that you're gonna learn for the next 20 minutes, and then what you're supposed to do with it when you leave these four walls, why does any of that matter? And understanding the, question, the answers to these questions will, without a doubt, irrevocably build your faith. And it'll put you on a trajectory of knowing him more and more each day, experiencing the fullness and the abundance of life that Jesus promises us. And it's only through him who can provide that. And it's my hope that you and I both experience that a little bit more today. Does that sound good to anybody? Yeah. Okay, cool. Glad we're on the same page. Raise your hand. If you have made at least one decision today, should be all of you, unless you just woke up here. (laughs) Any of you wake up here? You? No? Okay. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands for this next question, but based on the at least one decision that you made today, did you ask God before you did it? If I asked you to raise your hand, there might be less of you raising your hand on that one. No, I don't say any of this to shame anyone because the reality is I do and did and always do the same thing. I I, a lot of the time, make decisions without asking God first. I love control. I love control of my own life. And if we're honest, I think a lot of us can relate. Oftentimes we loop God into the decisions that we've already made, once it's made, instead of asking what he thinks instead of saying, hey, here's what I'm thinking. We ask him to give us peace after we made the decision when we find ourselves in calamity and chaos and saying, hey, God, I, already, I know I already decided this and I put myself here, but can you give me some peace that surpasses all understanding, please? Sometimes we ask for comfort. We ask him to bring us comfort after we made decisions when we find ourselves in uncomfortable places. And he's like, hey, my daughter, my son, my child, I'm going to help you, but maybe we could have been in a different spot if you had asked me first. This is all driven by one unfortunate piece of advice that we're gonna to unpack today. And this piece of advice is something that, um, that we're gonna read through the scriptures and uh, in the Old Testament and the New Testament as we journey through Abraham specifically. This piece of advice sounds really good, and I'm risking the chance that at least one of you in here have used this or has said this to maybe your kids, your coworker, your spouse, your mom, your dad, Or maybe it's something that you use all the time. And I don't mean this in any sort of shameful, condemning way. But may I caution you that this piece of advice is really uh, almost damaging and detrimental all the time. The advice is this. Follow your heart. It's supposed to be up there. (laughs) Pretend it says follow your heart right there. Follow your heart is the uh, piece of advice that we're going to be talking about. This is one of the most used and and influential pieces of advice that people use um, with their friends to encourage them, maybe well-intentioned. Maybe it was just like, hey, I really just want what's best for you and you're a good person and whatever. You're faced with a decision. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. But may I tell you or propose to you that it's even worse when Christians say it. It sounds inspirational. It sounds spiritual. It sounds like it might be the right thing, but God never said it. He never said it. It's been said in very popular songs and streamed all over our media and depicted in some of our, our favorite movies. Listen to your heart when He's calling for you. Don't. It's as if we believe that our heart is our compass. It's as if we believe that it is our guide directing us where we should go and what we should do. But let me rhetorically ask you a question. When people say, follow your heart, you know, they don't actually mean the beating heart inside your chest, right? Can we all agree there? All right. Then what the heck do they mean? Where is this other heart? Right? It's just a word that we use to culminate and that, that engulfs a bunch of different words that I'm convinced are feelings, thoughts, motives, desires, emotions, flesh. That's what our heart means. It's this figurative idea that no scientist can find. And if they try, they'll die before they find it. So I don't know where it is. But I do know... Let's try this. If we have any brave souls, somebody raise your hand and tell me another way to say follow your heart. What does follow your heart really mean? Somebody give me a hand. Do what you want? Do what you want. Do what who wants? Me. You. So instead of follow your heart, it really means follow yourself. Do whatever you want based on whatever you think is right at that moment, no matter how much you were hurt or how much celebrating you were doing, no matter if you had to work the next day or not, no matter if you got the big raise or if you got broken up with, just follow your heart because God will give you the desires of your heart and da-da-da-da and all this stuff. But oftentimes we don't think through the ramifications before we make this decision. We just say, I'm going to make this decision because it's what my heart wants. And Moana told me to do that. follow your desires, follow your your motivations, follow your flesh. And this word flesh is used, I should have looked up how many times in the Bible it is, but I'm going to guess at least 200. Somebody fact check me there. I'm going to guess the word flesh either in the original Hebrew or the original Greek is used at least 200 times in the Bible because the flesh is what God and the son and the spirit say, don't follow it. (laughs) Don't do it. Caution. So whether or not you believe that this is good or bad advice, you might be sitting there being like, "Uh, dude, I say follow your heart all the time and my life is great. Whether or not we agree whether this is bad advice or not, let's put that aside for a second and we will reevaluate that later. Can we at least agree that follow your heart really means, or also means, follow yourself, your desires, your motivations, your flesh? Seeing some head nod, okay. That is the foundation we need to move forward. Let's talk about it. So, this is a story I shared with my middle school students, and I'm a boy, so I laugh at jokes that I, you know, many of the women don't. But um, I told the students this I said, hey, 12 year old, one day when you're older, you're going to find yourself one in the morning, you can drive, you know, you might be living at home, you might be moved out in college or whatever, but you're going to find yourself. Late at night, after you're done playing Fortnite, and you're going to say, man, I'm really hungry. And my mom and dad aren't awake to make me food, or I don't want leftovers. I don't want to pay the service fees for DoorDash. I don't want to even go make food. So I'm going to get in my car, and I'm going to go drive somewhere. You know what sounds great? A beefy, cheesy five-layer burrito from Taco Bell. Maybe a double-double with animal-style fries and a Neapolitan shake from In-N-Out. A super size, super fries, super probably gonna die from McDonald's. (laughs) When you follow your heart, you eat whatever sounds good to you at that time. Also, no shame if you like that food, by the way. (laughs) Oh boy. Okay. Um, You eat whatever sounds good to you at that time. Oftentimes, it's without thinking through the ramifications, without thinking through the repercussions. Feeling like crap, feeling sick, realizing the horrible food you're putting in your body, and then dealing with what happens about an hour or so later. This is what happens when you follow your heart. Cool. In case anybody didn't know. <laughs> now, I know this is funny. I know some of you might be shaking your head. If you're watching in the traditional service, you're like, oh my gosh, who is this guy? But this is funny to middle school boys and myself. And that's about it. Um, And I hope that I never stop laughing at poop jokes. That's it. But in all honesty, this is what happens when we let our emotions, our feelings, our desires dictate the moment. When we let our hearts dictate the moment. And this, what, what it dictates doesn't just happen when you're hungry at night. It happens in any decision that we make. And we're going to look at scripture that's going to put this whole thing on blast. Say, I'm ready if you're ready. Here's what the Bible says about the heart. Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 5 through 9. This is what the Lord says. Pause. If you don't know who Jeremiah is, he is one of the major prophets like Jeremiah, like Isaiah, and a bunch of others. Um, he's a major prophet, which, mean, which means he gets a lot of airtime. And uh, God is speaking through him. And so here is what he says. This is, the, this is what the Lord says. Cursed. Is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, there's that word, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. Everyone say cursed. It's important to note that you cannot follow God and your heart at the same time. Both cannot coexist. And God said, you are cursed if you turn your heart away from the Lord. If you're following your heart, you are turning your back on the Lord. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. This imagery, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Now this question at the end, who can understand it, is a rhetorical question. God through Jeremiah is not saying, who are you? Hey, who can understand the heart? Please come to the front. Figurative heart surgeon, ologists, Please come on up. That's not what he's saying. He's asking a rhetorical question and saying, no one can. It's beyond cure. The heart is deceitful. It lies to you. That's literally what this means. It deceives you. It lies to you. It misleads you. It misguides you. And it is beyond cure. You can't fix it. This is why when we follow Jesus, we are new creations given new hearts. The temptation to do whatever you want or to eat that beefy, cheesy five-layer burrito at 1 a.m. or stay in a toxic relationship or do things that you know you shouldn't just because it may feel good or it might be familiar or it might be comfortable just because you're seeking the satisfaction or because it's comfortable and familiar or maybe you're just plain hungry. You will always be coming back to that well again and again and again. This is why Jesus says, I am the living water. I am the bread of life. You will never hunger or thirst if you come to me. Follow him and you will never have to search anywhere else to feel like you belong. In Genesis chapter 12, um, God speaks directly to Abraham and he says this. Verse one, the Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, And your father's household to the land I will show you. In one verse, God flips Abraham's life completely upside down, and his life is in shambles now. Four main things happen here. Number one, Abraham is told to leave his land. Imagine being told to leave your house, but not just leave to go to the store temporarily, just leave, period. When do I get to come back? Just leave. Well, how long am I going to be gone? Just leave. Well, what about my dog? Just leave. I didn't set the alarm clock. Just leave. Now, Abraham leaving his land means that he is leaving his family. His family had a very safe life. They were stable. They were established. And uprooting everything and just leaving, giving up all of the work that he's done to earn that. It's not what he wanted to do. It's not what any of us would want to do, really. God says, go. The second thing that happens is Abraham is told to leave his family. Now, in ancient culture, let me contextualize it for you a little bit, um, because some of us may be, I'm not going to go there. In ancient culture, go from your country or your people means to leave your family. Go alone. Again, in ancient culture, family was considered to be what you found your identity in whether you are a christian or not this is how you were known a lot of names that were given to people in the old and new testament were based on who your father was and what land you lived in it is where you found your identity it is where people how people knew you and abraham was asked to leave that thirdly abraham is not told where he's going This isn't like you're going to lunch. This isn't like you're going to a store. This isn't like, you know, you get in the car and we're like, oh, we're going to Arby's. Oh, cool. It's 15 minutes away. No, we're going 600 miles away. There was no planning for this. Getting up and going somewhere you don't know anything about requires an insane amount of trust. And the fourth and final thing that Abraham did or didn't do is he could have said no. He could have said no. Now, I'm not trying to embellish the scriptures at all. So please don't hear me do that. The scripture doesn't say if he fought God on it. The scripture doesn't say that he just, you know, that that he didn't feel any type of way about it. Didn't say that he was wrestling with the idea. But what we do know is that Abraham was a human, right? He was no more special than anybody else. He wasn't more or less human or more or less, you know, he, he wasn't a deity. He wasn't anything like that. He was a real human with real human emotions and human innateness and all that. And so I got to believe him being in a position that I want to be in someday, but him having more than me, him being older and wiser and having a family and having established living and his identity and all this stuff, and then being told by God, hey, just do what I say and I'm going to give you all this stuff. I got to imagine that him being in that position, it probably crossed his mind that he didn't want to do it. Because I think if we're honest, a, a, a good intention of following our heart in that moment is like, no, God, I don't want to leave my family. I don't want to leave my friends. I don't want to leave this home. God, I love these people. I worked so hard for this. It's not that you're being you know, malicious or violent or, 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 or rebuking God, but I understand maybe you don't want to leave that. But God just asks us to drop it and follow him. God just asks us to not follow our heart, but to follow him. The things that God promises for Abraham and for us, if we obey and trust him, are only activated if we accept the offer to obey and follow him. So how does Abraham respond? Genesis chapter 12, verse 4. So Abraham went as the Lord told him. So he obliged Through all of this, there's a few categories that everybody can fit into if we make this practical so that when we leave, we know we have something to do, we have a better understanding. I shared with you earlier that my dominant, this, this dominant thing for me is I like control. I like to control my own outcomes. I like to control things. Um, my anxiety holds me from things and I control it that way or I control you know, where I work or what I do and all that stuff. Well, here's the four, performance, approval, control, and comfort, all of us will fill in, fit into one of these, at least one. Performance, needing to win or to succeed, and without it, you're lost. Approval, needing people to like me, and without it, you're lost. Control, need to know every plan, and without it, you're lost. And comfort, never want to do, that's my typo, anything different. And without it, you're lost. Now, when I look at this list, I like all of those things. Does anybody not like those things? To Abraham, when I was reading this, but to Abraham, it felt like God was saying this. Maybe this is what Abraham was feeling. Performance. Uh, hey, Abraham, I, I want you to leave all the ways that you've measured success. And in fact, you're going to start over as a dusty nomad. Approval. Leave your family, Abraham, and tell them it's because I told you so. And then they'll be furious with you. They'll think you hurt them, but don't worry about them. Just get out. Control. God says, I'm not telling you anything about the details, nothing. Not where we're going, no directions, just go. I'll tell you as we go. I'll give you what you need as it's needed. And for comfort, I picture Abraham maybe, maybe hearing, yeah, sure, you got a sweet setup at home, but how about we go on a 600-mile walk through the desert, through the wasteland, to a new place, to the point where you got to rebuild everything. Now imagine where he was. We live in Silicon Valley. So everything, I was just talking to Pastor Rob out there, and he was telling me that he was in Houston for 25 years. Then he came to El Dorado Hills, a little north of Sacramento. And then he came here. And I'm like, that seems backwards. Right? <laughs> Sorry if I offended anyone. Um, where when you're out in Houston, you're out in the Bible Belt, you're basically anywhere outside of California. And the question is, where do you go to church? Not do you go to church? It's almost, it's, it's an implied question, right? But when you're here and our statistics show that Christians go to church on an average of 1.4 times per month and call that regular attendance, let me be here to tell you that is not regular attendance. That is a facade that's a sham, and you are lying to yourself. You're hiding behind a word that makes you feel good, but that is not regular attendance. And let me also tell you that if that is the only time you get any sort of God, you're missing the part about a daily pursuit. Denying your cross, taking up your cross daily. 1.4 times a month does not cut it. So being in the Silicon Valley everything that we know here, every, every way that we do church here is pretty opposite to how it was back then. Imagine being where he was. Imagine being 10% of where he was. That would rock us. It would shake us so far into another dimension if our foundation was not built on solid rock. But if it's in sand, bummer. So why do we put so much stock and trust into these four things? We all fit in at least one of these categories that dominate the decisions we make. And I told you all earlier, mine is control. I'm also the others as well at times. And it's not an easy thing to do, but following God and rejecting our hearts should be easy. It should be a no-brainer. And I'll tell you why, loving God, if I haven't made this clear enough and tattooed this into your brain, loving God means to reject our hearts. It means to deny ourselves and trust him. That is what it comes down to. And I'm sorry if I'm coming off as black and white. That is my fault. And I don't mean to be abrasive about this, but I do mean to be direct. Loving God means to and only reject our hearts. You can't follow your heart and follow him at the same time. Loving God means trusting that he will give us what we need when we need it. Loving God means trusting that he is good no matter what. Loving God means trusting that his ways are somehow higher and better than our ways. Even if you don't have approval, even if you don't have control, even if you don't have comfort, and even if you don't succeed. Even if all of those things, God is still good. And so I'll leave you with this. If you believe in God, not, if you believe in God in a way where you follow him with your life, because remember, Satan believes in God too. You're acknowledging that his son, Jesus, and how much he loves you. You're acknowledging so much that he died for you. He died a criminal's death that he didn't deserve for sin that he didn't commit. Yet, He still loved us enough to die for us so that we might choose to be in heaven with him someday. A few days ago, I was at the gym and I was listening to some worship music. Um, Right now, just things going on in my life have required me to direct my focus a little bit more to worship music and a little less away from Drake um, or podcasts. And that's just my transparency with you. I was listening to some worship music and a song called This Love by House Fires came on. And this is hands down one of the most beautifully written songs. Um, And here are the lyrics to this song, a part of this song. It goes like this. I'm not going to sing it because then it won't be beautiful. Um, This love doesn't leave me all alone. And it never forgets its own. That's us. This love won't leave me because my past is bad. Oh, and this love lifts me up above the waves. I don't need to be overwhelmed. Oh, and it raises me up upon a rock so my feet can finally stand on ground." So we have these images, we have these illustrations. Alone, own, bad, waves, overwhelmed, rocked, ground. It starts from like isolation and bad, and then it goes to, but here's your foundation. It starts with, here's the lack of those four things, and I'm still here for you. This love doesn't leave me all alone, even when we don't have the approval. Even when Abraham is asked by God and God alone to leave everything that he has. And this love doesn't leave us alone. Many of you are probably familiar with the the song Reckless Love, direct based out of the parable of leaving the 99 to, to go for the one. And there's a theological debate there, but we're not going to go there. But this love that Jesus embodies is there's 99 sheep, or there's 100 sheep. 99 of them are comfortable, they're grazing, they're chilling, they're doing whatever they're supposed to do. And then the one says, nope, goes the other way. You know what Jesus says? He says, "I'm I'm concerned with that one a little bit more. I want this one. I don't care that he or she is running from me, literally. I want that one. These ones will be okay. This love doesn't leave me all alone and it never forgets its own. This love won't leave me because my past is bad. I had a coach um, at Sonoma State my senior year. His name was Mike. And uh, my roommate at the time, Jackson, um, we were leading Bible studies and we'd, we'd invite our teammates and our coaches. And we, we, we invited Coach Mike, and he said, no, nah, I, I can't go. And I was like, what do you mean? You're here all day. I know you can. Come on. And he's like, no, I got too many skeletons in my closet. And we just laughed it off. And as I was writing this message, that popped into my head from spring 2016. I'm like, man, you're the one he's looking for, right? Right? Like being able to acknowledge, even though he may not be a Christian, being able to acknowledge that, hey, maybe I'm not worthy for that. There's a problem there because you are worthy. But him being able to acknowledge his sin, acknowledge his mistakes and his shortcoming puts him infinitely higher than the majority of the world. And now I'm sitting here thinking, crap, I gotta call this guy. I follow him on Instagram still. This love won't leave me because my past is bad. You're the one, that's the one he wants. And this love lifts me up above the waves. I don't need to be overwhelmed. And it raises me upon a rock. So my feet can finally stand on ground. How beautiful is that? I'm convinced that when we follow our hearts, we reject that. When we follow our hearts, we reject that because our hearts are deceitful. If we follow our hearts, we miss God's best. We reject God's best. We miss his design for our lives because we do what we think is right, what we think is good, maybe even what we think is the best because we read it in a book by some Christian author. Y'all, I don't care who your favorite Christian author is. I don't care who your favorite pastor is. If you're putting that above what is in the scriptures, you are following your heart and you're doing it wrong. Maybe one of our friends told us to do it or we just plain decided what we were gonna do. And maybe our intentions were like, God, I'm hurting. I feel shame. I don't fit in with those 99. 99. I feel like an outcast. My emotions, my mental health, my physical health, somebody hurt me like, God, I'm going to follow my heart and just, I just don't want to go into it. I don't want to go through it. I don't want to deal with it. So I'm just going to isolate. I'm not going to talk to anyone about it. I'm not going to seek wise counsel. I'm not going to go to therapy. I'm not going to talk to somebody I trust about it. Because if I stay over here, I at least can protect myself from it. But God says, yo, the only way is through. You have to go through. Imagine if Abraham disobeyed God and changed any one of the four things from the beginning. Imagine if Abraham said, hey God, you told me to leave my land, but I'm just gonna stay. It feels good. I'm going to stay with my family. Or, you know, I'm just going to take my family with me. So I'll do, a little bit about what, I'll do a little bit of what you want, but here's my terms. Imagine if he said, I'm not moving until you tell me where I'm going and then I'll go. I do that all the time. <laughs> all the time. And imagine if Abraham just said, no. Thanks God, but no. Imagine where the nation of Israel would be. Imagine the trajectory that that would have put the church on and imagine how that could have affected us today. Imagine where you could be, where we could be if we chose to not follow our hearts anymore. The only person, place, or thing that fully has our best interest at heart, no pun intended, is God. The only person, place, or thing. So the question that I want you to just meditate on Um, as you leave today is why don't we trust him more? Why do we not trust, why do we only trust God with the big decisions but we don't trust him with the little ones? Why is that? And once you answer that, what reason do we have? What reason do we have to not trust him more? Because the promise to us I have come so that you may have life and have it to the full. Have it abundantly. Have it in abundance. I don't see any other reason. I can't think of a reason to reject it. Because whatever I can put together is not to the full. Whatever I can put together is not abundant. I might think it is. But then that means that my power is like a single grain of sand compared to all of the grains of sand, compared to the entire ocean, compared to every, that is my power. That is your power. And collectively, our power is like three grains of sand. That's not abundant. But the abundant life that we are promised, the abundant life that God and Jesus wants to give us, will forever be higher and better and more Satisfying than anything that we could ever do following our hearts. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for an opportunity to speak. Thanks for an opportunity to share your word. Um, thanks for Jeremiah and Abraham and your son. And um, I pray that we leave here today feeling inspired, challenged, motivated, refreshed, that we're not alone, but that you're always with us. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us, even though we don't deserve it. Thank you for acknowledging that we were still sinners. And while we were still sinners, you said, I'm going to die anyway, because I love you that much. So thanks for doing that for us. I pray that we would never forget the work that you did, the meaning that it holds. And um, I pray that we would leave here acting on this challenge to not follow our hearts. Thank you for the grace that you give us, the mercy that you give us to not um, lead us astray, to not let us go too far. Thank you that when we decide, if we decide we want to run, that you're right there in step behind us, chasing after us. In your name, amen. Amen.